37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to episode 99 of Pixelated Paranormal, just one episode away from that 100 episode mark. Whoop, whoop. Uh huh. And uh, I am equally as excited for tonight's episode as I am episode 100, because I think I'm bringing some pretty freaky shit to the table for you guys. <laughs> and I don't think you go, I don't know, you may know the stories, but I'm hoping you don't. You know, I've not read the show notes, so I don't know. Yeah, it didn't look familiar. I perused the show notes earlier, and I was like, nope, don't know what the fuck this story is about. Yeah, so what I've done is, uh, as I'm perusing and kind of putting together the last little bit of that uh, final episode of Thieves in the Night, I've come across a lot of really neat alien abduction stories and, you know, close encounters of the fourth kind stories, and a couple have stood out as very atypical from your normal you know, run-of-the-mill little green men encounters. And they they didn't really fit the overall notes for that episode, so I thought we would just interject and do these right now and uh, share them with everybody because I think they're two really uh, cr- equally creepy and very um, thought-provoking stories. So before we do that, however, Presto, why don't you hit us with that news? When the facts don't matter. You are fake news. So, six employees of a uh, fertility clinic in the city of fertility (laughs) clinic in the city of Lanzhou, in the northwestern Chinese province of Gansu, received sentences ranging from eight to twenty-five years in prison after they were found guilty of using pig semen to fertilize dozens of women. That's right, folks. Between the years of uh, June 2016 and March 2017, a total of 86 women who had paid uh, 50,000 yuan, which is uh, 7,700 American dollars to be inseminated with the sperm from candidates carefully selected from the Chinese elite, were instead fertilized with pig semen. Only four of these women actually got pregnant. Now, One of these fetuses was so deformed that a doctor who saw it demanded an autopsy, and it was revealed that the embryo was part human and part animal. (laughs) Chimera? Yeah. Yeah. Police investigation then led to the discovery of an unusual fraud involving the... (laughs) This is the best name for a fertility clinic. Rhinoceros Horn Fertility Clinic. (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. And six of its employees, they discovered that the clinic was purchasing pig semen from farmers in a nearby village and using it to fertilize the customers. The animal semen was labeled as platinum quality and surprisingly sold at a higher price than regular quality, a.k.a. human semen. Six employees of the clinic were arrested in March, and all of them were found guilty yesterday in the Lanzhou State Court. The director of the clinic, Mr. Wang Hushan, was sentenced to 25 years of imprisonment for fraud. He admitted in his testimony that he had planned the unusual scheme in order to 
cope with the consistent shortages of high quality semen, which is hard to find in China. So, so go ahead, Steve. I was gonna say, have you guys seen the island of Dr. Monroe? Yeah, yeah. Like that. That's what I just posted the picture of that fucking pig thing. That's what it reminds me of. Like mixing Gosh. pig semen with that's just, that's just gross. It's terrible. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> well, I, I know. I'm just saying. Even of course, it, you know, you're not gonna have a fucking a pig hybrid running around. Saying either oh way, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Nasty. Yeah. Anyways, that's why we call it fake news because that shit's not possible. But I think it's funny that they're like uh, the quality of uh, you know Chinese jizz is bad, so they had to use like pig semen. So my thought is like, if that was a real story, not the pig baby chimera. But the idea of that happening, how many laws are you breaking? Because, I mean, like, you're you're posing as you're doing artificial insemination, so that would be essentially sexual assault. Yeah. Uh, the infection you'd probably give the poor woman or, or <sighs> women from that, I'm sure, you know, it's high-quality preserved semen, too. It's not like a, you know, a rusty bucket or anything like that, but... Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the rusty bucket does fit well with the rhinoceros's horn. Is that the name of the clinic? Yeah. Mm. Fucking gross. Pretty damn nasty. Come down to the rhinoceros horn and receive your rusty bucket of <laughs> semen today. <laughs> rusty bucket. So gross. Uh, well, in other related news that's probably fake, well, we're going to talk about it anyway. Did you guys see the supposed video of the lady who had the elf walking down her driveway? Yeah, because yeah, I sent it to you guys. Well, I sent it to you guys first. Well, I sent it back. All right, quit flexing <laughs> on each other. I showed you the video first. Big pocket, little pocket. <laughs> so you, you guys, we've all three watched yeah. it then? Yeah. I also okay, watched so The so Shadows so before. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Nerd. So, okay, basically, um, somewhere in California, a woman on her security camera caught what appears to be a, an elf, just like Dobby or Creature, walking down the driveway or, or skulking or like, I don't know, like, like a baby deer, like he might be learning how to walk. They're kind of like, always listening kind to like, like on the Mac. Roots. Yeah, kind of like me. a Mac and me with pointy <laughs> ears, yeah. But so the story basically is short and sweet. She says, in the middle of the night, she noticed a weird shadow um, going across the front of her house through the windows. So basically, like the uh, the shadow was coming through her uh, her window from the street light, and so she rushed to the front door. It was gone by then. So she checked security footage, and boom, you've got like eight seconds of this weird, thin, scraggly, elf-looking thing, like just bebopping down the driveway. But what's weird is, does the thing like just disappear? It does. Yeah, it glitches out at the very end of the video. See, yeah, the shadow, you hear its footsteps, like, scuffing, and it's almost like he's, like, doing a jig or something halfway through it. Yeah. But to me, it's like, I don't know, just, where's the before and the after video? Don't do this little glitch in the video type thing, like paranormal activity stuff. To me, that thing looks fake, but... Yeah, I think it's fake as well. It's making a shit ton of momentum, partially because of Harry Potter. Yeah. But that's my thought. I want to see the full the full video. I want to see a full video of this thing walking down the end of the driveway and around the corner. Mm-hmm. You know, because the joke is it just disappears. You know, at the very end, because it kind of disappears. But do the do the house elves do that? They don't disappear, right? Yeah, they do. That's yeah. uh, I'm pretty sure that's how. Remember. Spoiler alert. 
uh, they escape Voldemort's yeah, that's right. big onslaught at yeah. the end of like books. See, it's six too it's too convenient. The fuck out of here! Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And in, and in real life and folklore tales, uh, the house elves can disappear into thin air as well. Huh. Maybe we should have talked about this video on that next episode of Thieves in the Night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that might make more sense. I'm there for your children. <laughs> I really hope elves don't sound like that. <laughs> Pretentious little bastards. Don't stop it out with your boots, Ted. <laughs> Just disappears. <laughs> I want house elves with big boots. Fuck. Mm. Well, we can segue straight over to the main topic because going from weird creatures walking down driveways, these two main stories we're going to talk about are alien abduction cases that feature creatures that aren't your stereotypical, you know, little green men that we often hear in a lot of these encounters. So we're going to first start off with what they call the Pascagoula encounter. And you said neither one of you guys have heard of this one, huh? Not that I know of. Cool. I think I think Preston muted and answered muted back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the answer is no. Never, yeah. never heard of it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, cool. Well, feel free to chime in when you want or sit back in disbelief. Our first story of the evening actually took place on October 10th of 1973. During the early part of the evening, 15 people including two policemen, reported seeing a large oval-shaped silver UFO slowly flying over a housing project in St. Tammany Parish in New Orleans. However, the confusion and excitement this craft caused those 15 witnesses was minuscule compared to the terror it exacted on two Mississippi men that next evening. The next evening on October 11, 1973, Around 9 p.m. in Gaudier, Mississippi, two men, a 19-year-old Calvin Parker and a 42-year-old Charles Hickson, who was also a Korean War vet, had just hit the banks of the Pascagoula River to go fishing to wind down from a long day at work. But not too long after they cast their lines into the river, Charles, the older of the two, heard a strange mechanical buzzing noise behind them. He turned his head to see the source of the noise and was astounded to see a large glowing egg-shaped object with two blue lights at its front similar to a car's headlights and it was hovering just above the ground about 40 feet from the river's bank. The craft was 18 feet wide and 8 feet tall. Charles, while he was terrified, still managed to glance over at Calvin and he noticed he was as mesmerized by the large ship. As the men, frozen with fright, watched the bizarre craft, a door appeared on the front of the object, and three strange, gray-colored beings floated out of the hatch, drifted above the river, and they said the entities were gliding towards them instead of walking. Now what's odd here is that these strange creatures weren't the usual gray aliens with big heads and oily black eyes. These are the ones we're used to hearing in most alien abduction scenarios. But these creatures were at least six feet tall, stubby, bullet-shaped heads, and they didn't seem to have any necks. (laughs) (laughs) No neck. Neck. (laughs) The heads just sat on top of the broad shoulders, 
that had two overly long arms that hung by their sides. But instead of hands with opposable fingers, they had claws much like a crab. Now, like I said before, the creatures glided towards the two men out of the craft, although they did have two legs that had almost what could be described as blunt tips or hooves, they didn't have actual human feet at all. As they floated towards as they floated across the ground, the two terrified towards the two terrified men, their legs didn't move, and Charles said it was almost like their legs were fused together. And I sent you guys a picture of what that looks like in the dock. So they walk like penguins. Well, yeah, that are, I mean, this just says they floated. Like they didn't even walk. They just kind of glided. But let's get back to what their heads look like, because this is the most peculiar part. Like I said before, they had bullet-shaped heads without necks. But their faces might be the most peculiar part of all. They had thin slits for mouths, and where their noses and ears would be, they had thin, conical objects sticking out, much like carrots from a snowman's head. And they had no eyeballs. So we're thinking maybe these three strange cones that stick out of their ears and their nose could have been their eyes or some kind of, you know, um, I don't know, eyeball type thing. And finally, the creatures were covered in a rough, wrinkly skin that looked a lot like a rhino or an elephant. And they couldn't tell if the skin was a suit or the actual flesh of the creatures. But no matter what you want to say, these are some really, really freaky creatures. Were they from the rusty rhino fertility clinic in China? <laughs> they could have been. <laughs> they could have been harvesting Ooh. seed. <laughs> Two of the beings made their way over to Charles and stood one on each side of him. One of them put its arm around him, and Charles said that when he did this, he felt a sharp pain in his shoulder much like he was being stung by a wasp. The pain subsided instantly, and then he felt a wave of euphoria hit him, and he instantly relaxed. While he's being escorted to the craft by the two beings, Charles suddenly remembers Calvin, and he looks over his shoulder frantically, trying to make sure that he was okay. And apparently, the teenager had fainted with fright. Charles says that while he was terrified, he remembered what his sergeant from the war said. In the heat of the terrors and horror of war, keep a clear mind, pay attention to your surroundings, and always take notice of where you are and try to find a way out. So while he was being abducted, he did manage to stay coherent during the entire experience. And he said the beings placed their arms under his and his body became numb. And then they floated him into the craft and led him to a brightly lit room in the UFO's interior. This is where he was subjected to a medical examination. He said the room was brightly lit, but had no discernible light source coming from it. All he could see was a medical-like exam table in the center of the room. The beings laid him on the table, where he actually floated just above its surface. Then, one being went to the wall and pulled a strange device away from the wall that Charles described as a mechanical eyeball-like device which is floating in midair without any hoses or any wires attaching it to anything. The robotic eye did a scan or an exam of Charles's body. It moved up and down and side to side, scanning his entire body, before it slowly returned to the wall, again floating by itself. Hmm. The large... What? I was just like, huh. Oh. Creepy. 
The large eye device, according to Charles, was not painful or uncomfortable in any way. Charles kept trying to ask the beings questions, but they mostly ignored him, Dicks. except for one of the creatures who occasionally buzzed at him when he tried to speak. When the exam was finished, the creature left the room and Charles remained floating above the table. He believes that Calvin had the same exact type of exam. Calvin, however, was still so frightened that he remained passed out and didn't remember being on board a craft at all, and he wouldn't recall his ordeal for many years later. After approximately half an hour, the men were returned to the riverside. Charles realized that they were back outside the ship, standing where they were both originally at when the craft arrived. He found Parker on his knees, weeping and praying on the ground right next to him. Moments later, the craft rose straight up in the sky, shot out of sight, and disappeared into the night sky. So at this point, the two are just belligerent. They make their way back to their truck, and they're just completely incoherent. They're trying to figure out what they saw, what the hell happened, if it was real. They were both shaking and screaming, and Calvin was still in tears. So Charles did what anybody else would do to get his bearings straight, and he took a few shots of whiskey to calm his nerves from the pint that he kept in his car. So After everybody can think minutes, you're nuts and drunk when you tell them the story. Cool <laughs> yeah, story, bro. Yeah, yeah, get good and lit up before you tell everybody. After a few minutes, the two were finally calm enough to focus on what to do next. Now, the first thing they thought was no matter what they say, they're going to hear nothing but ridicule. If they tell anybody what happened, Hickson and Parker initially decided they should just keep quiet. But then, because the government might want to know, or maybe they thought they should know, they decided to call the Keesler Air Force Base in Biloxi. The sergeant who answered the phone told them they should contact the sheriff, because with the recent shutdown of Project Blue Book, the United States Air Force no longer conserved themselves, concerned themselves with UFO reports. But uncertain about the reception their bizarre story might get from the local law, they decided instead to drive to the local newspaper and speak to a reporter. However, probably for their own good, when they got to the actual newspaper, the office had already closed. So at that point, they decided they had no other choice. They had to go to the sheriff. So what's funny is they get to the sheriff's office. They're both visibly distressed. The sheriff sits them down. He listens to their story. And then he gets up and he's like, hey, come on over. Sit in this room and uh, give me a couple minutes. I'm just going to run and get a couple more officers. And we're going to go ahead and take your formal report. So he leaves the two guys in this room. Meanwhile, you know, he stumbles out. He's gasping for air because he's laughing so hard. And he's telling, you know, his buddies, like, oh, my God, you got to come look at this. Get a look at this. And what Charles and Calvin didn't know is the room they're waiting in actually was bugged. It had a series of cameras and also uh, microphones. So this is where they put people and hopefully maybe they'd crack and they could get, you know, a, uh, a confession on tape, so to speak. But what's strange is the, the sheriff and his, his cohorts sit outside waiting and listening. And instead of hearing like, you know, okay, now, you know, they're, they're six feet tall, right? Okay, great. They hear both of the guys still freaking out, crying out about how, like, no one's going to believe them. They can't believe what happened. Charles is freaking out, saying, you know, I just got to get back to my wife. I got to tell my wife I'm okay. Oh, my God. Like, how she's not going to believe me. She's going to leave me. And so the sheriff kind of goes back inside, and he's like, holy shit. I think these guys are telling the truth. I don't think this is a hoax at all. 
So he tells him, you know, kind of keep your mouth shut about this. I think you might be telling the truth. And whatever you do, do not make any phone calls. Don't contact the local press. Just keep quiet. Somehow or another, though, the local press gets a report of their tale. You know, wire services are picked up. And within several days, Pascagoula is just swarmed by reporters and newspaper writers and everything else. So... Like I mentioned with Project Blue Book, um, somebody very famous to that project and other alien encounters and UFO abduction cases is Dr. J. Allen Hynek. And I think Preston probably knows that name. Um, Dr. Hynek got involved and he interviewed the two guys and he's a pretty serious dude, pretty well respected, even though, you know, his primary job in the government was researching UFOs. He says, uh, quote, there was no... <clears throat> there was definitely something here that was not terrestrial. And he goes on record saying he fully believes the two men are telling the truth and that he can't prove that they weren't. And what's strange, too, to kind of further support these guys' experience, in what seems to be a related incident, a couple weeks after their encounter, a Coast Guard guardsman said that fishermen and he had an encounter with an underwater metallic object. Right around that same area in the Pascagoula River, they encountered this big, large metal object in the water. They could get just close enough to it to poke it with one of their big, you know, uh, fishing hooks, a big hook at the end of a big pole. And as soon as they would just about touch it or they'd bump it, it would take off. And so they, pursue, uh, they pursued this thing for like 40 minutes before the craft finally disappeared. And then if you fast forward years later, around 28 years after the initial encounter happened, another guy came forward saying that that same night on October 11th, um, he and some fellow military men were driving down Highway 90 in that same area when they noticed a huge craft flying across the sky. And they said it was going pretty fast. It went down into the wooded area and into the marsh. It hovered over the tree line, maybe for a minute. We actually pulled over to the road and watched it. I said, my God, what is that? The thing looked like a giant tambourine with little flashing lights on it. As quickly as we saw it, it just vanished. There was some daylight still remaining at dusk as it approached, and the men got a very good look at the object. It wasn't as high up as we saw it the first time, but it was real and it returned for a second time. So, I mean, you've got military men, you've got fishermen, you've got coast guardsmen, all reportedly seeing strange objects. So it really, it does nothing but further kind of support that what happened to these two guys may have actually been real. And then, as an epilogue here, years later, many years later, Calvin finally opened up about what happened to him on the ship, too. See, Charles, he went on to do a pretty decent circuit. He would go to a lot of conventions. He'd speak to a lot of groups. He'd do a lot of interviews. He went on cable, uh, you know, a lot of uh, documentary work he helped do. He was not afraid at all to see, to tell what happened because he's a pretty well-respected retired uh, Korean war vet. So he just said, fuck it, I've got nothing to hide. Nobody's going to believe me. And I think his famous quote was, on my deathbed as I lay dying, if you ask me what happened, I'll still tell you the truth and the exact same story. But Calvin was pretty nervous about telling people what happened because he's very religious and didn't want a lot of people to know what happened because he really feared the ridicule. But he said when he went on the ship, he went to his own exam room 
but his experience was a lot different. He said a very attractive woman came in and talked to him. She said that she and her people were much like the people of Earth, and that they even worshipped the same god. But they had to leave Earth and could no longer inhabit it due to the constant need for war and violence of the human species. About right. Yeah. And then she goes on. Way to go, people. Way to go. (laughs) Right. Now, he goes on to say that he actually had more subsequent visits from this UFO and these creatures later on in life. But it kind of became hard and a little muddy to tell if he was telling the truth later on. Because it's one of those deals of like, okay, you know, how could maybe I cash in on this kind of thing. So there's a little more to his story, but I decided to cut it off there because I don't want to go too far into La La Land with that guy's story. Sounds pretty intense. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what I'd do if something like that happened. That's like the only thing that terrifies me is alien abductions. <laughs> right, me too. Like the only yeah, thing. Because like, you know, my first alien abduction movie when I was a kid was Fire in the Sky. Yep, and I remember like he falls into the pods of the dead people. I'm like, Ugh, fuck yeah. aliens kill people. I don't want to be abducted. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's all I could think about too when I saw that movie was the the dead people and the the nasty ass jelly cocoons. Just imagine all that happening, but then you've got this thing with like, you know, a short stubby head and and fucking carrot stick sticking out of its (laughs) its ears and its nose with crab claws. Gross. But what they said was interesting about that alien is to them it almost feel it it almost felt a little bit like this thing was more um, bioengineered and less like it was actually a bioorganism. So they thought maybe whatever it was, uh, something might have been inside of it, whatever it was. Hmm. It could have been some kind of suit or propulsion system. Oh, freaking nuts, yeah. man. Yep. Space Nazis. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, let's cleanse the old palate and we'll get on to the Soviet Union's very own Roswell. So, the second story of the evening takes place in the Soviet Union in a town called Voronezh. The city of Voronezh was an industrial hub that was about 300 miles outside of Moscow. With a population of nearly 1 million people, it hardly seems like the normal kind of quiet or isolated region that is ordinarily associated with strange alien encounters. However, In the early months of autumn, in September, many people in this bustling city began reportedly seeing strange orange lights in the sky that were circling the area. So if we fast forward early in the evening on September 27th, around 6.30 p.m., a large group of people, mainly adults, were waiting at a nearby bus stop on Poudeline Street when they witnessed what they would describe as a large oval-shaped object, deep red in color, and illuminated or glowing. They estimated this craft to be approximately 45 feet wide and 18 feet tall. And it was circling above a large public park area known as Levo Berenjnes Park, a name that I will only pronounce once in this story. Witnesses swore that the strange craft hovered less than 40 feet above the ground, so close it was close enough to disturb some of the treetops and even the grass below. 
The group of nearly 45 people watched as a strange craft lowered down below the treetops where it disappeared and remained out of sight for about five minutes. And strangely, just as suddenly as it had arrived, the UFO soared away, leaving the eyewitnesses perplexed but equally amused. They had just enough time to briefly begin to speculate amongst themselves what exactly it was, when out of nowhere, less than five minutes later, the craft rushed back down below, disappeared behind the treetops, and back into the park yet again. Briefly, before taking off for a second time and finally disappearing for good. Now while the people at the bus stop were beyond confused and admittedly scared of what they just witnessed, what happened at the scene of the UFO's landing was what is truly terrifying. At the same time the people at the bus stop witnessed the strange craft floating above, a group of young middle schoolers were at the park playing soccer. Suddenly they heard an odd whistling noise and saw the sky around them begin to glow a strange pinkish glow. Then, much like what the bus shelter saw, an orange craft approached the group and began to descend downward toward the ground, about 20 feet away from where they were standing. Once the UFO lowered down to about, about 5 feet above the ground, it changed color to a deep red, and then began to silently hover in place. According to the kids, a hatch on the underside of the still-hovering craft opened to reveal a bizarre, otherworldly creature that they all described later as being long-armed, again necklace, with a small, knob-like head. The creature was clad in a silver jumpsuit with bronze boots, and it was so large, it appeared to fill the entire hatch opening. In ancient uh, Greek, Greece... Um, mm -hmm. There was tales of an island that uh, the the people that lived on the island uh, were called were the strong as ten men. <laughs> yeah, they were called the no necks because they literally had no necks, and uh. um, they fought with the dwarves and the the other races. And then like Poseidon's like, you know what? Fuck you guys. You guys are assholes. And then wiped them out. Mm. So maybe it was like an island full of aliens. You know, maybe they had I mean, bronze. Maybe they had bronze boots. <laughs> you never the know. picture a little bit farther down looks more like we're describing kind of a, a thinner version of the juggernaut yeah in a way but the creature was clad in a silver jumpsuit with bronze boots and was so large it appeared to fill the hatch opening as if the creature's immensity wasn't disturbing enough eyewitnesses said that there are three luminous eyes wedged into its tiny dome-like head the being's two outer eyes were whitish, with the center eye that was set slightly above the other two, bright red and swiveling like a radar. Holy fuck balls! It's the <laughs> Juggernaut! You are fucked! He's coming! It's the Juggernaut, bitch! <laughs> <laughs> they also claimed that the alien had a disc-like object attached to its chest. But possibly the most important detail about the entity was this thing was nine feet tall. This bizarre being seemed to be methodically scanning the terrain below when it then sealed the hatch and disappeared. The craft then extended four like support legs and landed softly on the grass. The kids said that the weight of the craft must have been immense because the ground was visibly eroded where the support legs were embedded 
into the soil. At this point, the alien that was seen through the opening hatch now emerged from the ship, followed by two more equally colossal creatures that shared the same creepy three-eyed faces and the same dome-shaped heads. These entities walked with a heavy gait and were followed by what the witnesses described as a box-light robot with pushed buttons on its front side. One alien adjusted one of the controls on the robot's chest, enabling it to walk about in a mechanical fashion. The robot then began to walk around and examine the ground near where the craft had landed, and they saw it take some soil samples along with plant life samples too. One of the creatures made indecipherable noises, which seemed to be some kind of orders it was giving to the other two. Then a beam of light emerged from the chief alien's chest. The beam delineated a number of luminous triangles and rectangles about one foot by half a foot wide, as if it was indicating something to its comrades. This frightened one young boy, so he apparently cried out in alarm. At the sound of the child's scream, the leader alien apparently fixed his gaze on the youngster, freezing him unnaturally in his tracks. This sent panic rippling through the rest of the terrified crowd, and as if the tale couldn't get any weirder, witnesses claimed the aliens and the robot all simultaneously got in a line, and with their robot companion in tow, single filedly walked back up into the ship and disappeared into the hatch. The ship rose up and flew off, but nevertheless, the encounter was far from over. At this point, the group of kids were basically frozen in disbelief, trying to figure out just what the hell happened. Because while science fiction was running rampant in the US, it was far less popular and even talked about in Russia. So it's rare these kids were being terrified of what they just saw, you know, being inspired by a magazine or a radio show. But while their panic was rising, anyhow, the craft reappeared and dropped back down into the same place about five minutes later. Now, one of the creatures is carrying a tube-like gun. It was about one foot in length. Aim the tube towards a 16-year-old boy who had screamed and a beam of light shot out, causing the teen to freeze in place. And then he disappeared without a trace, just blinked out of existence. Then, without any other altercation, the creatures re-entered the UFO, the craft retracted the landing gear, and began its ascent slowly increasing speed as it rose. And just as the vehicle is disappearing from sight, the vaporized teen miraculous, miraculously reappeared, barely able to speak, and he was petrified with fear. And again, of course, it wasn't long before you know the press got wind of the actual tale of UFOs, robots, and vanishing ray guns, and giant alien invaders, and soon the story had taken off rampant. So in no time, scores of scientists, Soviet government agencies, reporters, and other agencies just basically swarmed this town in Russia. And it made its way across news headlines and everything else. Now what's interesting about the story is again, the children were all taken into a room, interviewed together, and then interviewed separately. And as I'll tack on to the Instagram, they were all asked to draw what the ship looked like, draw what the aliens looked like, and all the children interviewed all pretty much drew the same exact thing. That's it looks kind of like a tall, lanky, skinny juggernaut with three eyes. And they interviewed without parents, that type of thing? Or that 
Yeah, I mean, it's 1989. It's crime. Yeah, it's probably not really a crime in Soviet Russia. It's Russia. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's Russia, and this is right around a few months before the fall of the Berlin Wall. All that kind of shit, man. I mean, I think... Yeah, I don't think uh, Chernobyl had exploded yet. But I mean, like... You tell me what you saw, I give you vodka and potato, little boy. Or not. Preston's our local uh, uh, import, what, uh, accent impersonation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but that one's one. new. That one didn't sound like your normal hillbilly accent. Yeah, or racist. So. <laughs> like stereotypical <laughs> racist. Wow. Uh, no, I'm just fucking with I'd you. I'd say imitation is flattering. Yeah. <laughs> you did pretty good on that Russian one. That was impressive. <laughs> not too shabby. So something else that should be noted about their experience. Another reputable witness came forward, a Lieutenant Sergei Matviev, who confessed that while he had not actually seen any aliens, he had seen a spaceship, which he described as a large flying body in the sky, moving silently across the sky in a high speed and very low altitude. The Lieutenant claimed that even he was a little skeptical at first when he saw the object. I thought I must be really tired. I rubbed my eyes but it didn't go away. Then I figured, in this day and age, anything is possible. (laughs) He then said the primary concern was the health of the children and uh, not knowing what they could have been exposed to, any other pathogens or radiation, so that was his main concern. And so there you go. That, basically, is Soviet Russia's Roswell equivalency. Again, not your typical alien encounter with, you know, little melon-shaped heads and giant oily black eyes. picture's pretty interesting. It is. What I really dig about the story is the fact that, again, they didn't have tons of UFO comic books and magazines and shit like we did. Like, their censorship was a bit stronger over there, and I don't really think... Yeah, science fiction wasn't really running rampant like it was here. They had access to it. You know, I know plenty of guys in... in, uh, the U.S. military that were stationed over in Germany and, and Russia and stuff like that, or, or near Russia, they had plenty of horror movies and sci-fi. But again, that was pretty much kind of U.S. Uh, supplied. So this would be the perfect hybrid of Bigfoot in the suit. Yeah, wouldn't it be? Ooh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, they're, ooh. That'd be yeah. funny if one of the one of the aliens like stretched and fucking seam split and just a big furry poof came out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so cheesy. <laughs> yep. But yeah, awesome. those are uh, those are two you know kind of classic abduction cases that I read about when I was a lot younger, and I thought those are pretty interesting. I wonder if you guys had heard about those, and it just seemed like a really nice little uh, side story to get on here. So sweet, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, man. I uh, I don't know if these were included in that uh, that UFO book I bought when I was younger. I don't think it was. But in any case, yeah, I'm surprised you hadn't heard about that because it was kind of a. Kind of pretty big stories, really, but... Cool, man. Well, Steve, take us home, buddy. Now, from the depths of Reddit, it's time for Ten Foil Hat Stories with Steven. Sweet. So this one is from the subreddit Paranormal Encounters again. This is posted by... User Sad Ghost Boy Yu Wu. <laughs> All right. Some of the names on Reddit are ridiculous. Hmm. This one's called How I Went from a Doll Enthusiast 
to throwing away every doll I ever had. Ooh. I, do you guys get scared by, like, the, the whole doll genre, like, the creepy haunted dolls? I mean, you guys went to that museum and you've seen this type of shit. Did you, do you find it creepy or what? Do you believe it? No, because I'm just going to, like, pick the fuck up and set it on fire and be done with it. Like, ain't <laughs> no, nothing freaky about it. Yeah, I've never been, like, creeped out by, like, Chucky or the Annabelle or any right. other multiple doll figures throughout, you know, horror media. But uh, it's, yeah. just, it's just weird. I... I've always had a deep-seated fear of ventriloquist dolls. Yeah, and I went to that. I went to that. Uh, um, fuck! What? What? Uh, what was it? The um, talent uh, show? No, um, <laughs> like a. Um, oh shit! Why can I not think of it? I went to that store up in uh, Antique Mall up in Salina and they had that little like fat baby Steven doll that I was really going to get. It was like 1920s. And, like everybody was freaked out by it. Like Jeffrey was freaked out. The kids were freaked out. And they're like, no, it's haunted. You can't bring it home. I'm awesome. like, come on. Was it like, really <laughs> expensive or what? And it was like 80 bucks. So yeah, they'd be cool to just put in, put into like, just put in like a, uh, a display case and be like, yeah, things haunted. I just want, really wanted to, like, in the middle of the night, sneak into the kid's room and just, like, place Perfect. it next to their bed. <laughs> Perfect. Jared's son is obsessed with um, watching, like, YouTube videos of, like, horror movies. Like, this kid's, like, really taking to horror. And Really? Yeah, like, it's... it's and he doesn't... Jared doesn't know how to feel about it because it's, like, you know, he's really young, but he's, like, um, he's obsessed. Because, like, when you look at YouTube clips... Like when you're when you're a child, because it's like this all this YouTube stuff's kind of like new, new to us with with children, because kids like they just get subjected to so much stuff on YouTube, and it's hard mm-hmm. to filter out like what's good and what's bad, even for us. Yeah, they're almost they're almost luckier in a way because I was only subjected by like seeing the first thirty seconds of like a Child's Play two trailer mm-hmm. or like a USA Up All Night trailer and shit when I was real young. I never got to just jump on YouTube and watch creepy shit ever. Yeah, and the thing with like with like him and I've seen other kids do too is that like they don't really like watch like trailers or movie scenes. They'll watch like lore about that person or like top yeah. ten lists, top five lists, stuff like that. So he's like obsessed with like with Chucky right now. He's never seen a Chucky movie ever. He just knows about it from these YouTube stories and clips and talking about it. And so um, he asked me if I like Chucky, and I was like, I have the actual Chucky doll. And he like freak he like freaked out. <laughs> He's like, that's a, that's so cool. So, anyway, so this is about dolls, and let's see what this guy threw guy or girl. I don't know. I'm assuming it's a boy because it says boy, but we don't assume. So, uh, my family and I have lived in the same house for about four generations. It's a pretty old house, so it's not surprising the home has had some paranormal experiences. My mom has always been interested in the paranormal, so from a young age, combined with the weird shit happening around our house, I knew a bit about it. When this happened, I was eight years old, and my brother was about six. Something to know about my eight-year-old self is that I loved dolls. What sucked was our family never had that much money when I was young, so my doll collection was pretty small and random. The only dolls I had were from my father, who I didn't live with, or gifts from my grandmother and a couple of dollar store knockoff Barbies that snapped if you blew on them too hard. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I always kept kept these in my room. Always. Always. If I took them out, it had to be in a bag or I was constantly holding them until I returned to my room where I'd keep them on my bed. I had exactly six dolls, a large china doll with, with fucked up hair from my grandmother, two baby dolls I'd gotten <laughs> uh, from some aunt, two Barbie dolls, and 
two baby dolls I've gotten from some aunt, two Barbie dolls, and one of those MLP dolls that look like a high schooler from my dad. Creepy. Uh, so, yeah, you have, uh, my mom used to collect collect dolls, and I remember when we were younger, she'd have, she, she had, like, all these, like, fancy, I mean, it was a large collection. Um, and during one of her manic episodes, from her mental illness, she ended up selling all them for, like, a case of beer. And oh, I remember wow. my dad being like extremely pissed off because it was like it was worth like thousands. They were like mm-hmm. China dolls, and it was like a whole collection, like brand in the box. It was nuts. She'd been she'd been collecting them her whole life. Yeah, oh. pretty nuts. So this person says, "I'm now 13 years old and terrified of dolls. This is just one of the reasons why." Some backstory. I'm assuming this happened on a Sunday. This was over four years ago, so I can't remember every single detail. The days prior. Prior, my best friend at the time had come over for a sleepover. She, like I do now, hated dolls, so we decided that we'd have our camp out in the living room all the way across the house. Keep in mind, the living room and my old room were at literal opposite corners of the house, so we brought a few large blankets and lied them down in the front of the TV. This day was the day after said a friend had gone home, and since we were all feeling lazy, we had left the large blanket on the ground. At the time, the only people living in the house were me, my younger brother, my then stepdad, and my grandmother. My grandma is disabled and often stays in her room that's close to mine. She rarely comes out, actually. Even to this day, her room is the largest with a fridge and half a bathroom, so she usually only comes out of the shower, blah, 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 take a shower, like, okay, whatever. Uh, That morning, morning, my stepfather had decided to take us to a graveyard. He, like my mom, was fascinated with the paranormal, and he'd often take me and my mom out to one of the ghost recorder things and through... Uh, cemeteries and places where people were buried. He was always respectful, but it was just another weird thing he'd do and drag us along for. Sometimes I think the things he and my mom did were one of the reasons so many paranormal things seemed to happen to us. But that's what we did that day. I can't remember if anything ever happened as he did his ghost recordings, but afterward we went and got pizza. Sweet. We came up. You can (laughs) tell this is written by a a 13-year-old. Sorry if this is boring. It's almost done. Uh, We came home after a few hours after noon. I don't remember why, but I think I had to use the bathroom really bad so when we got home mom just gave me the key to go inside while she and my stepdad got the pizza i took the key and quickly pushed open the door i was about to dart down the hallway before something caught the corner of my eye something that was there not there when we'd left my sneakers skidded to a halt and i turned around and looked down at the blanket from the tv slowly i walked towards it my blood ran cold there like all six of my dolls arranged in the perfect cross facing me i was six of my dolls arranged in a perfect cross facing me as if they were waiting for me to walk in, just like I had, and see them this way. And when I say a perfect cross, I mean perfect. The largest doll was the center, laying down eyes, or laying down eyes open, even though it was one of those dolls that closes their eyes when laying down. <laughs> Four days afterward, <laughs> I tried to keep its eyes open when on its back, and they never kept open. My two baby dolls were perfectly aligned, as if someone used a ruler beneath. And on top was my smallest doll. On the sides were the Barbie dolls turned sideways. Additionally, the at first completely wrinkled up blanket had been completely reflattened against the floor. No wrinkles at all. We hadn't even made it that nice when we first pulled it out. That's what she said. A eight-year-old me knew something was very wrong and ran back out to tell my mom. She and my stepdad came and looked, but shrugged it off. <laughs> These type of things didn't <laughs> affect me. My stepdad took a few photos, but later helped helped me put them all back in my bed that night i did i didn't keep them there and instead shoved them under my bed before i went to sleep to this day that area of the living room will give off weird vibes at night anyways thanks for reading this is my first post so sorry if it's bad wow 
Yeah, fucking pretty dolls. Crazy. But I mean, probably the grandma. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> my thing yeah. is like I've I've never been afraid of dolls specifically, other than like the normal childhood fear of dolls. But my mom had made me a clown doll that was probably like as big as I was when I was like you know five or six. And he used to always sit on top of my shelving unit that was right next to the door to our bedroom. And our bedroom was just off the living room. And I remember something I used to always love to do with my mom and dad late at night, which was, you know, 8 o'clock when I was a kid. would be <laughs> to, uh, you know, try to stay up as late as I could, not make any noises, and just kind of sit, you know, over on my chair uh, and watch Unsolved Mysteries, hoping they wouldn't realize I was still awake. And this one night, like, I remember the Unsolved Mysteries, I could hear the preview of, like, what the stories were going to be. And it was like, tonight's episode discusses, you know, uh, a clown with a menacing plan or something like that. And I'm like, oh my god, and I'm in the bedroom, I turn the light off, and I look up and there's that fucking clown sitting on top of the shelf. And I have to run by the clown to get out the bedroom door into the living room. So I stood there for probably what seemed like forever, realistically, maybe three seconds. And I'm like, okay, just go. And so I took off running as fast as I could. Mm-hmm. But because I was a chubby little, you know, kid, my footsteps caused the, uh, the floor to vibrate. And it made this the shelf kind of clatter around, and that clown fell off and landed right on top of me just as I ran underneath it. And in my mind, being little, I thought the clown jumped off the fucking shelf and attacked me. And it was the single most terrifying thing that happened to me up to that point. That's crazy. See, dude. you just okay. try to rationalize your first paranormal experience. <laughs> that clown was possessed, and it was trying right. to get your ass. And poltergeist. Well, shit. And when I used to stay the night at my grandma's watching all those horror movies, as I did, um, my cousin Amy and I used to always be over there. And we used to always catch like maybe five or ten minutes of what we used to call the dummy doll movie. And the dummy doll movie, all I remember is it's a ventriloquist doll trying to kill a lady. I want to say the lady maybe goes in the bathroom to take a shower or she goes in the bathroom and slams the door to hide from the dummy doll. And then the ventriloquist doll has a knife and at some point, it's shoving the knife underneath the uh, the doorway of the bathroom trying to stab the lady. But my grandma had a Howdy Doody doll, <laughs> ventriloquist doll, in her closet. And she had this great Howdy big storage closet. Howdy balls. <laughs> and we used to always go in this big closet and like, explore because it was like a huge walk-in closet with all these old toys and stuff. You're lying with the wardrobe and that shit. Yeah, and I remember once I went in there and I was trying to climb up on like some junk and I grabbed a hold of something, and when I pulled on it, the doll fell off the top shelf of the closet and landed on me. And again, I just assumed it attacked me. Damn. Yeah. So I'm not afraid of... Oh, just hit my microphone. Sorry about that. I'm not afraid of dolls. I'm afraid of the shit that possesses the doll. That's what freaks me out. Like when we went to... Uh, uh, what was that thing's name? Um, at the Haunted Museum, the Museum of Shadows in Omaha. Demus doll. Demus. Yeah, that Demus doll. Like, I'm not afraid of that little doll. I'm afraid of whatever the hell is inside that doll possessing it. That's what freaks mm-hmm. me the fuck out. So I think I think dolls are just one of those things that you're naturally programmed to either love or be terrified by as a kid. Because it's that uncanny valley of they're they're just like you, just a little bit smaller, and their eyes are just a little bit too big, or their mouth's just a little bit too, you know, smiley. And uh, it just fucking freaks you out. Well, should we go ahead and finish her up? Uh, Plug some stuff and get out of here? Yeah. Cool, man. All right. Steve, what you got, man? Check out our Instagram, uh, PXL Paranormal. We're always posting stuff on there. And um, that's pretty much it, I think. I don't know. And Pixelated Paranormal on uh, Facebook as well. 
So listen, if you need a beard, if you want a beard, if you want to grow a beard that's going to hide the fact that you do not have a neck, check out BigDogsBeardBomb.com and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order. And check out scents like Bay Rum, Sweet Tobacco, Fresh, Mint, Classic, Citrus. Uh, Am I forgetting one? Dundee Cedar. Mm. I think that's really it. Anyways, it doesn't matter which one you get because they're all fantastic and they all give you this lush man beard. We'll all be giving our review for the uh, mint. His new, he's brewing up a new mint flavor. Is what he said. Oh Oh, yeah. yeah. So we're gonna be reviewing that pretty soon. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. There's a uh, there's a haunted statue up there. I, I gotta get to that damn story. There's a haunted statue story that Micah sent me a long time ago, and I need to get after it and actually talk about it, but I'm actually trying to research more about the statue before we cover that listener story. But right. some good shit. So all right, cool. Uh check out our friends over in Colorado, Fear and Fame. Check out Mark's solo podcast, Pixelated Sausage. Check out his video game reviews on the YouTubes of Attack the Backlog. And Preston, what's my favorite race car podcast? Um, Sports Cars Unleashed. You got it. Boom, boom. And uh, Steve, you plugged the Instagram, right? PXL Paranormal? Yes, sir. Keen. Cool. Other than that, um, thank you guys so much for listening. And we can't wait to uh, hit that next episode, guys. Yeah. 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 And remember, listeners, stay spooky and stay on the paranormal highway. Ooh. <laughs> Forgot you are going to say that. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much for listening. The cast at Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. All right, let's go with a three, two, one, pop. 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 <laughs> Did you just choke on your vape? Yeah. God, you're such a douche. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs>